Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And I'm Chris Noble. And we're on a journey to explore the brightest and most innovative minds and initiatives in social purpose. Today, companies and brands must stand for something meaningful. They have to have a social purpose and bring that purpose forward to their employees, their customers, and their community. Each episode, we're talking to leaders at Fortune 100 companies, global brands, social enterprise startups, NGOs, and everything in between. We'll be taking a deep dive to learn how they are integrating purpose into their organizations. To benefit both business and society for enduring impact. Join us. Carol Cohn. And I'm Chris Noble. Welcome to Purpose 360. Today, we have Michael Sneed from Johnson & Johnson. Michael is Executive Vice President, Global Corporate Affairs and Communications Officer. Michael has been at the company since 1983 in an amazing series of roles. Welcome to the show, Michael. Oh, thank you very much, Carol. It's great to be talking with you. Johnson & Johnson is over an $80 billion global company. They have 260 operating companies in 60 countries. They're very proud that they've had 56 consecutive years of dividend increases. They have over 134,000 employees. For three years, they've been on the Fortune Change the World list. And they are the largest broadly based healthcare company in the world. To have Michael Sneed take some time out of his very busy day, um, it's a treat for our listeners of Purpose 360. So, Michael, let's start with you. Tell us a bit about your extensive career at J&J. You know, I, uh, as you said, I started at J&J in 1983 and, and really, uh, it was really because of its mission around healthcare in general. I come from a a family of healthcare professionals. Um, my grandmother was a nurse. My uncle was a was a obstetrician, and uh, just all of we had a number of people who just worked in healthcare. And so, I really saw that as a great calling uh, early on, just because of what I saw so many so many of my families do inside of healthcare. And so that really led me to J and J, and and since then I've really been building my career by uh, by working first in marketing and then later on in general management, uh, managing and leading a number of our operating companies around the world. But it's really the, the purpose and the mission of J&J, our credo, uh, that I really think speaks to why so many people like myself uh, come to J&J and importantly stay at Johnson & Johnson. So how might you describe what is your professional purpose? When we talk about Johnson & Johnson and our purpose, what we really speak to is this notion of how we blend heart, science, and ingenuity, uh, because those are the things that we think are uniquely Johnson & Johnson. And we talk about blending those things to profoundly change the trajectory of health for humanity. And we, we look at that as a very very tall order, of course, when you're talking about all of humanity, you're talking about trying to actually change the trajectory of, of health for, for people around the world. But nevertheless, we think that Johnson & Johnson has the ability to actually do that. And so it's been a real sense of, of who we are as, as, as a company. And uh, I think people have really rallied to it. What's made it easy, quite honestly, though, is that it, our purpose has always been there. Uh, more recently, we've been able to bring the right words to what we do. But the purpose of the organization, I think, has been there since its founding. And uh, now we get to talk about it in a way that's modern and relevant to, to all of the people that we serve. Let's take a step back to your credo. And in 1943, you formalized your commitment. And I think that I know that when I got my graduate degree um, in communications, that we study J&J &J and the credo. And so um, certainly it's had a profound impact. And first question, was that J&J's first purpose? And, and what does the credo mean to you as a professional and then your 
hundreds of thousands of colleagues at J&J. Our credit was written in 1943, and it was was penned by Robert Wood Johnson, who at the time was the, along with his brothers, owned the company. So J&J was a privately held company. In 1943, they had decided to take the company public. And General Johnson was very concerned that the values and uh, the principles upon which he built the company, he was very concerned that those would be lost once he took the company to the public markets. And so his, his goal was to really tell future shareholders, hey, this is how we plan to run the company. If you are aligned with this, that's great. Don't be surprised when you hear and you see the kind of actions that we take, because this is what we're all about as an organization. And, uh, and quite simply, he set out to explain to everybody what the set of responsibilities that he believed Johnson & Johnson should have as a, as a publicly traded corporation. And these were quite controversial uh, for their time. Uh, given that it was 1943, uh, I, I don't think people really thought about putting uh, customers first, which is in the first paragraph of our credo. It talks first and foremost about our responsibility to uh, our consumers, to mothers and fathers, to doctors and mothers who use our products. And he w- he made it very clear that that was our first responsibility. He then went on to talk about our second responsibility being uh, our employees. So that was very, very controversial because people did not at that time view employees necessarily as assets or certainly something that corporations should be responsible for. And yet he was saying that very clearly. Clearly. That was a profound because I even think today our colleagues are still not recognizing their most important stakeholder, our employees. Exactly, Carol. Yeah. And then after that, we talked about community. He talked about communities and how we're responsible for our communities and how we, we, at the end of the day, we needed to be very good corporate citizens and that we were not, we were not there to take from the community, but we were there to actually add to the community. And then I think this was the most profound piece of it all was he said, if all of those things go well, if J&J does all of those things, then last uh, and he purposely put the shareholders last, he said that our shareholders should receive a fair return. So not only was he very clear about where the shareholders uh, ranked in terms of the pecking order, if you will, um, but he was very declarative about what needed to happen within Johnson & Johnson in order for shareholders to get a fair return. So that was, um, as, I, as I said, that was very controversial then. and. I think because it stood the test of time, even today, I think there's a lot of discussions around companies and what their purpose is and who do they serve and what are the priorities of those, of those that they serve. But uh, back in 1943, Robert Wood Johnson certainly made it clear about what Johnson & Johnson was going to focus on and how they were going to prioritize uh, their objectives. So you joined the company 40 years after the credo was established. And so you were a young professional then. And, you know, when you had your orientation or you started out during the first year, how did the credo manifest itself in your work? So it was it was it was interesting, Carol. You certainly like like all of us, we we hear about we hear about our credo very early on in employee orientations. Uh, but we actually, I- until you live it, uh, you actually don't really understand the power of it. And uh, I, but I was fortunate. I actually had interned at Johnson and Johnson uh, the summer before, and so in 1982, as you would well know, uh, that was the year that we had the Tylenol tamperings in Chicago. And that was obviously a huge uh, challenge for the organization. And not knowing uh, J&J that well, I spent a summer there. This had happened in the fall of, of, two th- of 1982. So I was able to see from afar what actions the company were, was taking. But I also, having worked there at least for the summer, 
I was well aware of our credo and I was certainly looking to see what, uh, what actions they would take. And what really struck me at that point was I had, I had been a summer intern, so I literally only had three months of experience with the company. And one of our executives at the time uh, took the time to actually call me. I was in grad school at that point. Took the time to call me and let me know what was going on, uh, that these are the actions we were taking, uh, that they were very committed to my future. Because he was very concerned that the stories I was seeing might have me turn away from the company. And uh, the fact that he had taken time out of his day to call a summer intern uh, to just reassure him that things were going to be okay, I think spoke volumes around the culture of the company, as well as the the commitment that they had to to know that they were going to do the right thing in, in what was probably the biggest challenge to the organization up until that point. And so I think that's how I really... I viewed it and experienced it firsthand. And you and you lived it. I know that, Chris, you know, you and I have talked a lot about culture and the impact of purpose on culture. It, it, absolutely, Carol. And, and I think that one of the things that's interesting to me is how that public commitment translates to the employee commitment. I, I was wondering, Michael, could you talk a little bit about how you survey the employees uh, of Johnson & Johnson and what you get out of that feedback as a company? One of the great things about our credo is that we talk about how do we continue to live it, keep it relevant. And one of those things that we do is we actually do what we call credo surveys or credo challenges every two years and think of it as uh, employees getting the opportunity to give a report card on management in terms of how well we're actually living up to the principles of our credo. And so it provides us an incredible look into how people are really feeling about our credo. Are we, in fact, doing what we say we're supposed to be doing? And what's great about this challenge is that we have upwards of 95% of all of our employees who go through that process every two years. So the, the amount of engagement people have is, is unheard of. And what that results in is not only, of course, getting a tremendous amount of data and insights, but then throughout the corporation, uh, across all of our companies and functions, we then pull together credo action teams. And those teams work on one or two things that have come up through the data to say, hey, these are the, these are the one or two things, two things we need to work on over the next two years to see if we can make real progress in a particular area. Um, so people get a chance to really see it, you know, working for them. Now, that, that's really interesting. And one of the things that I know is interesting to our audience, too, is how data drives some of those decisions. Uh, is, there, is there a specific example that you could give us of uh, uh, something you found in the data from the survey that you created a, a Credo team around to address? Well, I can give you uh, I can give you two, one that's writ large and then one specific one. In uh, 2018, it was the 75th anniversary of our credo. So we took the opportunity to gather input and insight from about 2,000, 2,000, over 2,000 employees to ask them if we were going to make any changes to our credo, what would you consider? Now, you have to give some perspective here. So over the 75 years, we've made changes to, to our credo three or four times. So uh, it's not exactly the same as it was in 1943, um, but we don't make those changes every day. So this was an opportunity to really hear from you know, a wide swath of our employees to understand as we work in today's environment, are there things that we need to either add or delete or change? And that was an incredibly, I would say, uh, satisfying process. Uh, and it was incredibly engaging uh, and quite emotional for people. People really uh, have very strong feelings about our credo. And it resulted, I think, in some very important changes in the language around our credo. As an example, um, we, with the, with, the, with the revised credo that we have now, our enhanced credo, 
we talk very explicitly about um, diversity and inclusion. Uh, it was not it was not part of the of the the most recent credo, but given the times in which we operate, and given the fact that we have a very diverse and inclusive workforce, we thought it was important to codify that uh, in our credo. Um, we talk about the notion of partners and uh, the need to ensure that we are a company that really values the partners that we have in helping us continue to grow our business and to serve our patients and consumers. So uh, I think those are uh, a few of the more recent changes that we literally just made last December and uh, to much great, to much uh, fanfare. Now on a, on a smaller uh, example, one of the things that uh, came out of uh, one of the action teams that I've been involved with, and it relates to our employees, is this notion of career development uh, and making sure that people have an even stronger sense of the opportunities that are available to them uh, in in whatever role they choose to have and whatever career they choose to have at, at Johnson & Johnson. And so that's resulted in uh, my organization, as an example, really focusing on an enhanced capability and competency model, uh, an enhanced career progression model, so that people have a much better understanding of how they can continue to advance their careers at Johnson & Johnson. I know that I was recently at Cannes, and um, congratulations on winning a Grand Prix. Thank you. Thank you. It's very humbling. Uh, oh, and I just, any, we'll put this in our show notes, but we will link to 5B, which was, it's a documentary about how your nurses in 1983 created the first AIDS ward. And it's it's truly goes back to your point about your responsibility to the patients and the doctors and the nurses and the humanity and the empathy that they bring to the healthcare practice. And so um, we will put the link, but I think that the cradle allows emotion to come into the business environment. And I think a lot of, you know, corporations, you know, we must do it by the book. We must be very unemotional. Can you talk a little bit about the role of empathy and humanity today in, you know, multinational um, organizations? No, I'd be happy to do that. And, and, and you're absolutely right, Carol. I think that Johnson & Johnson, because of our credo, uh, I would say a couple of things. It allows our people to bring passion to what they do into the workplace. Uh, you talked about the film 5B. You know, that, that, that's a direct connection to our credo, as you said, um, with regard to serving uh, and being responsible for, in this case, uh, nurses and healthcare workers. Um, but it's, it's, really the, it's, it's really the action that, that people feel that they can take because of our credo. So in this case, it's a, it's a great story of nurses. But the other, what was great about that film that only, uh, that only J&J people would know is that I've had so many people uh, across J&J who've come to me or let me know that they were a sales rep back then in San Francisco. And they'll tell you the stories about how their manager said, look, let us know what that hospital needs in terms of J&J supplies. We'll get you everything that, that, that they need. So this is just an extension, I think, of our credo in action. And it gives people a real sense that, yes, we expect people to bring their emotion uh, and their passion to what they do for, um, for Johnson & Johnson, but also what we do for, for patients around the world and consumers around the world. And I think it also speaks to your bigger question around the role and the purpose of corporations today, uh, they have to be seen as a vehicle by which, uh, by which employees in this case uh, can be their best. They can bring their best selves uh, to the organization. We, 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 we talk a lot about it in J&J, a lot about this notion of servant leadership. And yes. I think that is what companies like Johnson & Johnson and others, I think if you have that kind of culture, then you are going to be on the right path to 
not only satisfying your customers and your employees, but but generating great you know financial returns for your for your company, and also having the longevity and the sustainability that every corporation desires to have. But I do think it starts with this notion of of in, in some part this notion of passion, this notion of of emotion uh, that's in all of us. And let's face it, when we're when we're excited about opportunities where we feel like we're supported uh, by the ideas that we bring to work, then more often than not, the organization flourishes because of that. And so that's what we try and create within J&J. So, so let's just bridge to, again, the, the new purpose statement. You know, we, we blend heart, science, and ingenuity to profoundly change the trajectory of health for humanity. That's huge. That's lofty. So again, why did you feel, since the credo is so powerful and so well known, that you needed to have this other element? And, and then also, I'd love you to expand upon the trajectory of health for humanity. And you've done amazing things by leading with health issues. So if you could give some examples of that as well. So if, as you can imagine, one of the things that we, we really try and do is hold a mirror up to ourselves and to make sure that we aren't just drinking the Kool-Aid around our credo and, 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 listen, and really just listening to ourselves and no one else is hearing us. And the, the, what we found out is that while the credo is a wonderful, it's a wonderful document, it's something that we live every day, uh, in today's environment, as we like to joke, it's hard to put our credo on a t-shirt. Uh, it's, a okay. wonder, it's wonderful, but it, it, it's, it's hard to really boil that down into what, what we're actually all about. And I think it, it got clarified for us when we started to think about purpose and values and trying to see if we could actually link but also separate the two. And for us, I think the light bulb went on when we said, you know, our credo is really our foundation. It is, it is who we are. It's what we believe in. Our purpose is really our ambition. It's really what propels us forward. And once we were able to understand it in those terms, I think it really, it really sang for everybody. It really felt like, yeah, that's exactly what we've been trying to say, is we've got a great set of values. We love them. Uh, they are our foundation. But we also have this burning passion and this burning ambition uh, that really is what keeps us driving forward. And that itself has become our purpose. And again, it's always been there, but to be able to bring it together in the words that we chose in a way that really speaks to the people who work at Johnson & Johnson, I think that was, the, that was, also, that was the hard work, but that was also the secret sauce around it. Can you also talk about how you built it with your colleagues, like the really specific actions that you took? Sure. One of the things that we are really cognizant of at Johnson & Johnson is that nothing really happens unless there's broad support around it. Uh, and e we like to joke that even the CEO could make a declaration and most people would ignore it if they didn't think it was the right thing to do. Uh, so we knew it was important to start to bring people into the tent to help us actually create this purpose. And so we started with a, a fairly small group of people, about 35 or so. Uh, and with that core, along with some of our outside partners, we started doing interviews um, with people in the organization. And I really mean broad-based. So people like myself who had been here for their career, people who had just started yesterday, uh, people who worked in our plants, uh, our sales organization, uh, people who were literally in all countries around the world. And we just did interviews and tried to get in, in, a, in a, a tremendous amount of research to understand um, what was this thing about purpose and how would we figure out a way to uh, really say that in a way that was going to be meaningful to people. Uh, that resulted in, a, as you can imagine, a tremendous amount of data, lots of good insight. And then through that, 
so we went very broad, but at the end of the day, we have to, you know, in order to actually get something done, you've got to bring it down to a small group of people. So we, we had about 35 folks who, again, were for, from all over the organization. We brought them together for three days, uh, uninterrupted, and from literally from whole cloth, we created this purpose. And at the end of it, everyone looked at it and said, yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. When we, when we talk about Johnson & Johnson and we talk about what our ambition is, these are the words that really ring for everybody. So let me just speak to the second part, which is around this notion of uh, profoundly changing the trajectory of health for humanity. One of the things that we knew we wanted to do is much like our, our credo, we wanted something that we knew would be hard to live up to every day. I mean, this isn't the kind of thing that you kind of look at and go, oh, yeah, we can, we can do that. And that's not a big deal. No, we want people to say, wow, that's not an easy thing to do. And to start to think about, well, how would we actually do that? What, what are some of the things that we're either doing today or that we need to commit to uh, moving forward? And that was actually the, the, the surprising and delightful part because there are so many things that we do today that really do go hand in hand with this notion of changing the trajectory of health for humanity. So. One of the things that we're very proud of is all of the work that we've done for the last couple of decades on HIV. And HIV is one of those areas, as you know, where two decades ago, it was literally a death sentence. You know, literally in two years, most people would die. And through, you know, our persistent work and other companies, of course, uh, we've now made HIV into a chronic disease. Uh, and that has a profound impact on humanity, on families, on individuals. And I think that's been, uh, among others, that's been one of our proudest moments is to really look into the world of global public health and understand, you know, what can we be doing as Johnson & Johnson? Another great example that I love to talk about is the work that we've done on uh, tuberculosis. Uh, there's been if virtually no no new treatment for uh, tuberculosis in the last 30 years. And uh, about 18 months ago, we were able to introduce a brand new treatment, uh, particularly for multi-drug resistant tuberculosis. Uh, hepatitis C, you know, we were one of the companies that were able to come out with a, uh, not just a treatment, but a cure, a cure for hepatitis C. And, and so these are just some examples where we feel like we've got the wind in our sails to really go after things that have been intractable uh, with regard to the human condition for decades and even centuries, and not just bring better treatments, but really have the, have the vision and have the possibility of really curing things that up until now were deemed uncurable. So really, really exciting things. No, it, it, it is really exciting. And actually, one of the things that we wanted to to touch on and ask about was how the credo influences both your your vision which you've got but also how it influences innovation as you go forward and and these those last three examples are really good examples of how you you let your purpose drive your research and and your commitment to uh you know fighting disease around the globe which is that's so that's fantastic the the other way to go with that is that uh your commitment to global community, right? The, the, the commitment to community is written right in there, but the commitment to global community is a, is a different thing that's emerged really over the last, I would say, 30 or 40 years. And in fact, uh, J&J was one of the first companies to commit to the 2030 SDGs. One of the things that's important to us is to, to understand how you pick those targets but also how you measure against them. The, the metrics and measurability are something that a lot of the folks that, that we reach want to know how other companies are doing it and what metrics are important. So can you talk to SDG goals and, and how you measure progress against those goals a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. We're, so let me start from where you started, which was uh, in our credo, we, we do talk about community. And aside from the fact that it's part of our credo, what it does 
inside Johnson & Johnson is it gives people the permission to say, this is important for J&J, and this is how we're going to start to tackle things that are impacting the community. And so we've had a, obviously, we've had a long history of doing that. Uh, back in the early 2000s, as you know, the UN uh, started down the road with their first set of uh, goals, the, millennial, the Millennium Development Goals. And uh, that was really our first, I would say, pretty high-profile um, public declaration of what we were going to try to achieve with those. Um, the great news around this, and I, I, I chalk it up to the fact that Johnson & Johnson has a, a lot of people who are overachievers. Uh, so we exceeded every MDG that we had put forward in, uh, in, the, in that first, uh, first set of goals. And then based upon that, as any good company would do, we, would, we said, hey, well, we've got the SDGs along. We've learned a lot from the MDGs. How can we set the bar even higher? And what are those specific areas where we bring real expertise uh, that, can, that, that can actually have an impact? So I think how we choose the goals uh, and which ones to really align with, with the UN SDGs are really based upon where we have particular expert expertise. So if it's in in this case one of the one of the important goals that we are really much very much focused on is in uh, frontline healthcare workers and the training of frontline healthcare workers. So we um, we had a and do have a very big audacious goal around that because we realize how important it is to get to that last mile if you will in terms of actually delivering care. Um, but we've got big goals around the environment, uh, around uh, a number of other areas, um, where in some cases we don't always know the, the answer. We don't, may not always have the solution today. But what it does is because we've put it out there, we've got people who have said, okay, we're going to take this on. Now, in terms of the metrics and how to measure that, um, that's something that I think we're really pleased with. And what we're, uh, you know, we're big on accountability. And so one of the things that we've started doing in the last few years is, uh, is publishing what we call our Health for Humanity report. And that is a place where if, if you wanted to have one document that told you everything you needed to know about Johnson & Johnson, it's in the Health for Humanity report. And it speaks to not only you know, who we are as a corporation and all the facts and figures, but it goes into incredible amount of detail on where we are against each of our, uh, not only our corporate goals when it comes to sustainability and the environment and diversity and inclusion, but it also speaks to where we are in terms of the SDGs and the progress that we're making. And you'll see right there in that report, in some places we're actually ahead of where we thought we'd be. In other places we're a little bit behind. But I know we feel very confident in our ability to hit those because when it came to the MDGs, Johnson & Johnson was the only private sector company that achieved all of our MDG goals. So we feel very confident that we'll also be able to do that with the SDGs. Uh, just to follow that quickly with alignment, right? So, so metrics are important. And for us also, alignment is important. So can you, can you talk a little bit how you've got a, a, a huge... Uh, employee volunteering program, and you're giving you're giving folks uh, you know, forty hours paid time off to volunteer, another forty hours unpaid that they can take. Uh, you provide a lot of opportunities for extended volunteer leave. Uh, how does the employee volunteerism align with your credo and the goals and all the other things? Right. So how are you how are you using employee volunteerism to also drive this kind of vision of healthcare goals globally? So one of the things, and again, this is why that our credo is so powerful, is it speaks directly to this notion of how do we support employees, not only in their professional development, but in their personal development. And we, one of the things that we know is if you put it out there, you actually have to back it up with real tangible ways that people can, can actually do this. So. Uh, it's it's been the the programs that you mentioned i think have just been a reflection of the interest that our employees have to really 
go beyond the walls of Johnson and Johnson and drive personal impact in either the local communities in which they live or in the global community. And we want to be in a position where we can support that because we do believe that if we can do that for our employees, it comes back to Johnson and Johnson tenfold. I mean, we have an incredibly engaged uh, workforce because of these types of opportunities. Because not only do they they get, uh, of course, they get all the great benefits and everything that you'd expect from any company, but the ability of people to give back to others is an incredibly powerful force in having people feel great about themselves. And so you could you could call it part of our credo. You could call it um, maybe making a return on our investment in employees. That's all fine. But at the end of the day, we want our people to feel as if they are making an impact, not only for the company, but they're making an impact for the communities in which they live. And we give them, as you say, we give them a lot of tools. We give them a lot of flexibility. And we also build it in to the work that they do. So we recognize that these opportunities give them, give people an ability to, to have leadership roles, uh, give people the ability to manage teams, uh, give people an ability to work uh, with colleagues across the organization that they may not have ever come in contact with. These are all just great things in terms of being a well-developed leader and of course, then ultimately, we hope Johnson & Johnson can benefit from that. So, so Michael, in terms of when we're giving advice to companies and they're saying, well, how many hours of paid time off should we give? And they go, well, maybe eight hours or 16. Can you make the case for, you know, you're giving 40 paid, 40 unpaid, extended leave? What's your recommendation to other companies um, regarding, you know, how generous they should be with this policy? Yeah, I think that uh, look every every company's different, and everyone every company has a or starts from a different place. Um, what I can tell you is we we do a couple of things to kind of settle in in terms of ultimately where where we land. Uh, first and foremost, we actually ask our employees, okay, what's it what's it going to take again to really make an impact? So I, I think it's been the feedback that. People want to have enough time to actually have an impact with whatever organization or whatever community they're in. Um, but they also want, they're they're also very respectful of the fact that this is a pretty big benefit and they, they want to um, not abuse it. And so part of it is just finding that space where if it's only a few hours, people actually don't value it that much. If it's a significant amount of time, our own employees recognize that's a big value that the company is actually entrusting me with and they and they behave accordingly. So it's going to be different for every company, of course. And then the second, I think the second criteria is that we do look at what other companies are doing and we want to make sure that we are seen among the top companies in delivering whatever benefits that are out there. So as an example, in the last couple of years, um, we've really taken a, a really hard look at our uh, at our paternal and maternal leave policies, and I think we feel very good that we show up very well uh, ac- across any industry against any company uh, when it comes to those types of benefits for for mothers, for fathers, um, for surrogate patients, for adoptive uh, parents. Uh, we, we feel really good about it. And importantly, as I said earlier, we get a lot of feedback from, from our employees to say, Hey, is this the, are we on the right track here? Uh, is this something that you really value? And and just curious, Michael, um, how important or what's the relative importance of being on the fortune change the world list or the just capital, you know, healthiest companies lists? Um, we, we find those. We, we find those to be incredibly important. Uh, now, look, not every list is created equal, so we don't, uh, we don't go chasing after each list. Um, but clearly, there are certain ones that rise above others. And uh, you mentioned the Fortune Change the World list. Yeah, that's a, that's a big deal. 
it gives us a different profile than people might see of J&J. Uh, it's, beyond, it's beyond just the numbers, uh, as you know. But for Johnson & Johnson, it also allows us to talk about things that people may not know about Johnson & Johnson. You know, many people think of Johnson & Johnson as uh, the baby company. And uh, wh- while we're very proud of that heritage and uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't change it for the world, um, we do so much more than that. And so being on lists like that allow us the platform to tell a greater story about Johnson & Johnson. And we also, because you are in so many industries and around the globe, you do have your challenges periodically with your products. How do you use the credo and the new purpose statement to guide you through those situations? You know, our credo is, uh, as I said before, it is the bedrock of how we do business. What people sometimes don't understand about our credo is it allows us to have great aspirations, but it also allows us to say if we've done something wrong or if we've made a mistake, and it allows the organization the ability to learn from that. So in that regard, it's very clarifying with the notion that, hey, if something has happened because of one of our products or something that we did, the culture is such that we own up to that. And we are, we've had gr- a number of great cases starting from Tylenol back in the 80s, but even more recently with uh, our, uh, in our medical device business, our ASR hips, where we ultimately chose to um, take that off the market after we, after we got more data and we said, you know what? Yeah, you know what? This is not performing the way we expected. And we not only took it off the market, but we compensated all of the uh, patients who had had the hip and not only in the compensation in terms of um, the second surgery to remove it and replace it, but any other, uh, any other uh, damages that may have occurred, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that we have used it as a way to also provide an opportunity to tell all of our stakeholders, if we've made a mistake, if we're wrong, um, we're very much willing to admit it. At the same time, it also says to us, if we really fundamentally believe very strongly in our science, in the fact that the products are safe, uh, that we're going to defend, we're going to defend our business just as strongly in that regard. So that's come up, as you know, uh, in in a large degree around the current talc litigation. and. People, many people have said, well, why doesn't Johnson & Johnson settle? Uh, it's an easier way to go. And in some cases, it probably would be easier, but it wouldn't be who we are. It wouldn't be core to our credo. It wouldn't be standing up to what we know was right. And so in, in, in so many ways, the credo has guided us uh, to admit things that were wrong if we felt it was wrong but to also make, take a stand and take a stand when we feel we're right and when the science uh, really supports the, the, the stands that we take. How does the credo and the new purpose statement drive innovation at J&J? Oh, that's a, that's a great one. So I, I, love, I love talking about that. Clearly, when we, uh, I'll, take, I'll take our purpose first, but when we speak to this notion of changing the trajectory of health for humanity, I think people realize you can't do that unless you are a company that's willing to take big, bold bets. And one of the things that uh, is embedded in our purpose is a number of other attributes and statements, but one of them is this notion of boldness and knowing that you've got to be out there um, you you've got to be doing things that are really worth the time and worth the effort of our people that are really going to have an impact on patients and consumers around the world. So I think it's, it comes directly uh, from our purpose as well as our credo. And, and I'll go back to the notion that uh, our credo speaks to a, a set of responsibilities. And what, what's interesting about our credo as it relates to uh, innovation is it speaks very 
very clearly in our credo about the notion that um, that mistakes must be paid for, but that science must be carried on. And what's interesting about that is that word must. In our credo, I think the word must is used, I think, over 30 times. So what, what it clearly says is it's not an option for us. You know, it's not, A, hey, it'd be a nice thing to do. Innovation would be a good thing to do. Launching products would be a good thing to do. Um, no, it's saying we must do this. We do not have a choice. And so I think people take that very seriously and it gives them uh, not only the permission, but it gives them the, the knowledge to know that we want them to persevere even in the face of setbacks, even when things may not be going well. Uh, and, it, and it gives them that notion that we want you to continue until we do get to, to the breakthroughs around HIV until we do get through the breakthroughs around Ebola or to, until we get to um, innovative ways of doing surgery uh, or using technology for our consumer products. The, we, we want people to set a high bar and we want people to strive for the, the biggest impact that they can possibly make. And that's why we're doing this uh, podcast, because, again, I think people know you for your baby products, but they don't know you for your huge, bold ambition to truly address global health challenges. So kudos to you, Michael, and kudos to J&J. Well, it's a it's a collective effort. Certainly. Yeah, of course it is. You know, over 134,000 employees. But that credo coursing through the blood of all your employees and your ability to recognize the passion, the empathy, their humanity, giving them the amount of time off to really volunteer and have an impact. It's extraordinary. I hate to say that we're getting to the bottom of this because maybe we'll invite you back if you'll give us some more time. But but Chris, I know you 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 always love to ask the next question. Sure. Yeah. One of the things that we always like to ask, Michael, is is what advice do you have to your peers as they're on their purpose journey and, and what, you know, top three things would you recommend they focus on and incorporate as they're bringing purpose to their companies? So oh, thanks, Chris. So a couple of things I would say, uh, I think when, when, whenever you start on a purpose journey, um, first and foremost, it's gotta be authentic to your organization. It, it's really, I, I don't think organizations make up purposes. I, I think, or organizations reveal their purpose. And it's up to you to, to reveal that and, under, and figure out exactly how do you bring it into a set of words or a language uh, or visually that can really show that. And so that's, that's first and foremost the, the first thing I would focus on. Secondly, uh, it, it's got to have the support of the, 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 the highest level of leadership in your organization. Uh, without that, you know, you can't, it'll, it'll seem like, uh, you know, the next, the next marketing plan and, uh, or the next initiative. And we know how those sometimes go. Uh, I remember speaking with our CEO, Alex Gorski, uh, a few years ago, we were down this road and I, I said at some point to Alex, I said, Alex, um, you know, I, I'm doing this, I'm loving it. I, I love leading it. But ultimately, you've got to be the one to take it over. Uh, you've got to be the one to carry the mantle. Uh, and that way, people will really, really believe that it's real. Uh, and then the third area I would say is involve a lot of people, engage a lot of people around the organization. You'd be surprised how many people get super excited about working on purpose it's, you know, it's, it's in many cases, it's what they aspire to do in organizations. It's, it's much more than just about the paycheck or just about the, the work at hand, which is all very important, but it, it gets underneath kind of the why, the ambition. Why, why am I here? You know, what's my role beyond, beyond just the, the obvious that, and, and, and you'd be surprised how many people sign up to want to help you in the development of that purpose. When it comes to purpose, when it comes to a set of a credo or a mission statement, uh, you know, it, at the end of the day, it, you have to be actually you have to be able to actually live it. You know, it is not enough to just have it on a wall, to have it as a set of uh, statements, to make it a slogan. I mean, those are all important executional elements, 
But what really, it, where the magic really is, and and I think why our credo has sustained itself for so long is because people people watch what you do. They don't watch what you say. And if you are reflecting your credo and the actions that you take in the times when it's very difficult, it's very easy. It's very easy for me to talk about our credo on a, on a Tuesday afternoon in June when all things are going well. Uh, it's very difficult when there's a challenge or an issue and all eyes are in the corporation and they're asking, all right, are they going to live up to it? And that's the piece that you have to spend as much time thinking about those examples and showcasing how you've acted on your purpose and the tough decisions you've made, often at the expense or at the sacrifice of perhaps short-term benefit to the organization. That's when people will get it and they'll go, you're an authentic company and you really do live into the values that you speak about. That, that's fantastic. So uh, again, I think that it's, you know, how you act, how you behave when the times are difficult. Um, and and I'm, I'm so thrilled that, that we ended on that. And, and again, we always talk about the impact on the business and it's the power of and and society. And I think your comment about sometimes you give sometimes you give up in the short term for the long term, but your fifty-six consecutive years of dividend increases, the profound development of new products across the globe. I mean, it makes J and J into the powerhouse house that you are to live your credo and then your your new declaration, we blend heart science and ingenuity to profoundly change the trajectory of health for humanity. Thank you so much, Michael Sneed, Executive Vice President, Global Corporate Affairs and Communications Officer at J&J. This has been an extraordinary conversation. I know that so many individuals will learn from it. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, Christopher. And I close today's segment with the question, what is your purpose?